Why can you thank Shakespeare for your bedroom? <laughs> and what dog has the highest IQ? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and enjoy some information in the form of trivia. Well, Marcia, why can you thank Shakespeare for your bedroom? Can you be a little more specific? Okay, how about this way? Uh, why can we say that Shakespeare invented your bedroom? Well, that's even more preposterous. <laughs> I don't think it is. Okay. All right. Tell me, tell me. Okay. Shakespeare <laughs> invented the word bedroom. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, you, oh. They cannot find a use for that word before the plays of Shakespeare. And it's not the only one. He invented a number of other words, too. But bedroom, it was not called a bedroom before Maybe that. it was uh, the bedchamber, the chamber, the haystack, The whatever. haystack. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. You it hit was, the hay? That's yeah, you wonder where the stack. origin yeah. of that phrase. That's right. Okay. Yeah. That's, you got it. But <laughs> these are some of the other words or neologisms that Shakespeare also invented. Amaze. Uh-huh. Excellent. Fitful. I can see how that is a full of fit. Fitful. Uh-huh. Uh, radiance, Summit, and Majestic. Very cool. So there you go. All new words Shakespeare invented. All new 500 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So, Bob, what dog has the highest IQ? The dog that has the highest IQ. I would think it would be something like a German Shepherd or some kind of animal that's used either for hunting or surveillance. Yes. Maybe well, not. I don't well, know. German Shepherd is number three. Okay. Number two is the Poodle. Really, I always thought that poodles were so flighty, you know? Yeah. But but very smart, though. Yeah, very smart. And poodles were bred as hunting dogs by the French. Yeah, That's, it's hard to imagine that, isn't it? Yeah. And the number one smartest dog is the sheep herder, the border collie. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So how about the dumbest dogs? The Bob? dumbest dogs. <laughs> not, not ours. The dumbest dogs. No, our dog, the beagle, was number eight. Yeah, beagles dumbest. are pretty smart. No, for dumb, number eight. They're pretty smart. <laughs> I know men think with a certain organ, right? Yeah, and his and was his nose. That's right. That's he thought right. with his nose. Yeah. Hmm, what's that? Let's yeah, go over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, let's go over there. Yeah. Oh, oh, there's something in the middle of the street. And what's the only thing that could bring him back? Cheese. Marcia kind of trained Buster, our dog, on our cheese. Beagle. <laughs> our beagle. <laughs> he loved it. And, and you could be out there and yell cheese and he would actually come back. Yeah. That yeah. was fascinating. From the middle of the road, which yeah. is where he preferred hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. What is okay, the dumbest the, dog? All right. The number one dumbest dog is the Afghan hound. Wow. And uh, number two is the Bajenji. I don't even know what that is. Bajenji. I think that's a rash that I get every summer. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. And number three, this will kill my neighbor, the bulldog. <laughs> oh, really? The bulldog is not a smart animal. Apparently. Well, it's a plotter. That's true. <laughs> you know, Marcia, I was recently listening to one of our favorite podcasts, and at one point, a female guest said to the male host, my Roomba knocked out my Wi-Fi while I was watching Netflix. <laughs> now, what that meant was her robotic vacuum cleaner got caught up in the electrical cord of her yeah. Wi-Fi unit and shut off her television set. But the podcast host paused for a moment and repeated what she said. 
My Roomba knocked out my Wi-Fi while I was watching Netflix. That sentence wouldn't have made sense to anyone 20 years ago. (laughs) That is a crazy sentence, isn't it? Well, that brought to mind how human-like these devices can be and the fact that people are renaming them. And I have some fun names for appliances we'll bring up a little later on in the show. Okay. All right. Okay, we recently had the Grammys, Bob. Mm -hmm. So who in history has won more Grammys than anybody else? This is going to be difficult because it's not like the Oscars where we know Walt Disney and Edith Head were big, you know, (laughs) winners of those statues. Yeah. So the Grammys. So who won more Grammys than anyone else? I'm just going to go like Elvis Presley or Bing Crosby or somebody like that. Wrong, wrong. As of uh, the recent Grammys, Beyonce racked up her 28th award. Wow. Which tied with Quincy Jones, who also has 28, and they hold the record for living recipients. But the all-time record is 31 figurines, and that went to classical and operatic conductor George Solti. Oh, Georg Solti. He was with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, he died in 1997. Wow. I think Beyonce is probably going to pass him up in the not-too-distant future. So from opera to rap, the Grammys are changing, huh, Bob? That's interesting. (laughs) And who knew uh, in the pop music field that the classical conductor would be the one who got more than anyone else. Wow. Okay. All right. Okay, Marsha, we like word origin questions. So I've got one here for you. Where does the word honcho come from? (laughs) Honcho. Isn't that what you called yourself when I first met you? I was the head honcho when I (laughs) met you. But I am no longer since I've been married. I thought it was... (laughs) No, now you're a little honcho. (laughs) That's right. Junior honcho. You're the head honcho. Okay. Uh, Well, I don't know. My first thought is something... It's a word that came out of... uh, Mexico, like hombre, or it's a Hispanic word? It's not a Hispanic word, but it is from another culture other than American. Uh huh. It is from the Japanese culture. Really? And it's a term that means squad leader. So the honcho was the, the number one guy in a squad of a military formation. What, what country? Jap- I said Japan. I heard you. <laughs> okay. I just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a second ago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, a millisecond yeah, ago. Which is retention longer than usual. That's true. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can you name the oldest restaurant food chain in America? The restaurant chain in America. Okay. I think that goes back to White Castle, High Hamburgers, or somebody like well, that. Well, you're right in that that's the oldest fast food burger chain, which started in. Uh, 1921. Is it Howard Johnson's? Nope. Okay. The oldest food chain in America goes back to 1919, when the root beer kings Roy Allen and Frank Wright opened a root beer stand in Lodi, California. When they decided to expand, they called it A&W Restaurants, A for Allen and W for Wright. No kidding. (laughs) So that's where the A&W root beer name comes from. I didn't know that. What were their names again? So we have Uh, that? Roy Allen and Frank Wright. Wow. It goes back to 1919. Wow. Their little root beer stand was so successful, they started franchising it almost immediately and leased it to different people. entrepreneurs. and well, that Went all over a- the country. And and they had to name it, and they came up with uh, A&W. A&W Root Beer. Who, who knew? And I do commercial voiceovers for them once I, in a while. I know. You know, when you say things, that sometimes there's always something that comes to mind, a picture in your head, and you know what this one is? Huh. It's a picture of the shelf in my older cousin Pete McGuire's room <laughs> when he was a teenager. 
and he had brought home one of those mugs. And this was back in the day when- They were coveted. Yeah, because you couldn't buy merchandise with the names of companies on it, like yeah. McDonald's or yeah. anything, or was... Starbucks. So it was like, wow, Pete stole that. You know, that's that was the first reaction I had. <laughs> oh. But also it was like, oh, would I love to have one of those? And he had pennies in it. You know, that was where he put his loose change. Sounds like my Boy Scout. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he stole. <laughs> my cousin is a thief. It, they probably gave it to him as a thank you. Yeah, back then, uh, the merchants didn't think of branding themselves with merchandise. Certainly didn't think of selling their own yeah, cups. Yeah, to and, Who would buy that stuff? Yeah, you know? well. Okay, Marcia, I have another question doing with language. Chinese writing, unlike Western writing, is made up of graphic symbols, each representing an idea. Do you have any idea what the symbol for trouble is in Chinese? <laughs> right here in River City. <laughs> Absolutely not. Two women living under one roof. <laughs> really? It's a little diagram. It looks like two women living under one roof. That's trouble. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that. Well, that's at least from the book That's a Fact, Jack, by Harry Bright and <laughs> Jacob Answer. So that's, that's what they say. Uh, I have another one here for you. Why does the term chop suey perfectly describe what that food is? Because the suey's all chopped up. Well, no, that's not... The answer, Marsh, but why would chop suey? What does chop suey mean? Well, it means to cut into little pieces suey. No, <laughs> it does not. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that's not the answer. I Mrs. want my Smith. suey. No, in okay. Mandarin, chop suey means odds and ends. Oh, really? And it means mixed bits in Cantonese. These are two different types of Chinese. And that's exactly what chop suey is. It usually consists of meat and eggs cooked quickly, with vegetables like bean sprouts and cabbage and celery. So it's definitely odds and ends. Now, there are different stories. It's believed to have been invented by 19th century Chinese-American cooks. Sometimes the story involves an emergency meal pulled together for important people visiting, like, like <laughs> Chinese royalty or uh -huh. a politician. Nobody knows for sure. But it could date back much further because dishes with names like tsapcui, T-S-A-P-C-H-U-E-Y, appear as early as the 1500s in Chinese literature. Really? But it's always meant like a bunch of different things pulled together, oh, chop suey. That's like when I emptied the refrigerator and put it all in scrambled eggs. That's exactly <laughs> right. It's yeah. just like that. Let's put that in scrambled eggs and <laughs> see what happens. You just need to get a sexy name for that. <laughs> I think chop suey is pretty cute. <laughs> I like that. Okay, let's talk duct tape, Bob. Duct tape, D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E. Oh, yes, I'm wow. ready to talk duct You're tape. Your state school uh, diploma is showing off here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, duct tape was created in the early 40s by Johnson & Johnson, but it didn't make much of a splash back then until what happened? From what I understand, somebody wrote a letter to FDR. How do you know that? Well, <laughs> sorry, but I read that story that I think this lady wrote a letter to FDR and said yeah. something like, I know you've got sons in uniform and our sons need to have things uh, secured better or something like that. And so this tape holds everything together. You got a lot of the story, but not all. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> a little bit of it. Oh, come on. <laughs> a woman named Vest, V-E-S-T, don't ask me, Vest Stout, mother of two sons in the Navy, started working in an Illinois munitions plant. Hmm. She was responsible for packing rifle grenade cartridges and ensuring they were sealed to keep them dry for shipping overseas. 
She found the tape she had to use was hard to tear open. And just to get it open, you needed a knife or a sharp object. Wait a minute. It's sounding like I'm really right this time. <laughs> okay, go you ahead. Needed a You're sharp... just providing the details. <laughs> That's right. She okay. Needed a, she needed a knife or a sharp object to do so. So she suggested duct tape to her employer, who promptly said, no. <laughs> <laughs> but Mama Bear didn't leave it at that. She had sons in the service, and she didn't want them wasting time under fire trying to open a box that could take a minute or two to get the cartridges out. Yeah. So she wrote to Roosevelt, telling him that boys would be killed in the time it takes to get those cartridges out. And the administration wrote back saying, quote, it is cooperation of this type that will win this war. Wow. <laughs> Her suggestion was implemented a few weeks later. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> See, sometimes you can break through yeah. all this bureaucracy. And there was a lot of bureaucracy in the Roosevelt administration because uh -huh. they started all these different agencies. Yeah, with they had the, a ton of it, didn't they? With alphabet names, but just a letter yeah. getting to the right person, yeah. FDR. Well, that makes sense. We don't need boys dying trying to get a box open. This lady has a good idea. Could <laughs> you just imagine him? You know, you're, everything but, you see. Yeah. Anyway, that's when duct tape suddenly became hugely popular. That's fascinating. A great story. All right. See if you know the answer to this. If you looked at Warren Buffett's first income tax return, what clue would tell you this young man is going to be a success? Well, Warren Buffett's first income tax return. Yeah. Now, this was when he was 13. He was. Oh, okay. Well, there's a clue right there. He probably had a uh, an income tax report for his lemonade stand or something. He was delivering newspapers. Okay. So he had a newspaper delivery route. And for his revenue, when he was 13 years old, I don't know why he was filing an income tax yeah. return, but maybe his parents were, you should file an income tax yeah. return and learn about <laughs> business, young man. So from his newspaper delivery route, he claimed a $35 deduction for his bicycle. Oh. So, <laughs> is that a... Isn't that great? So that shows you he's on his way to becoming a businessman. I love it. Warren Buffett. Hilarious. That was, uh, well, good for him. That is sweet. All right, Bob. We recently talked about the first toothbrushes. That's right. But before the first toothbrushes... Came the first tooth. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Toothpaste was oh. before the toothbrushes. Okay. But when and what was the first toothpaste? They came in the 19th century, the first toothpaste, I believe. I'm talking about real first toothpaste what did the ancient people use oh way back when way back oh the the i know the romans used urine to clean their teeth well i was getting to that uh, isn't that disgusting <laughs> yes it's just because of the ammonia in it apparently yeah, yeah okay all right history's first recorded toothpaste was an egyptian mixture of ground pumice and strong wine Ta-da, I wow. like it. Well, there you go. Yeah. Something but, you like. We haven't gotten to the <laughs> other stuff I'd yet. I'd be brushing three times a day. <laughs> but the early Romans brushed their teeth with, as you said, human urine, and also used it as a mouthwash. Actually, urine was an active component in toothpaste and mouthwashes until well into the 18th century. Wow. So that, uh, geez, the ammonia it contains gave them a strong cleansing powder. Just makes you wonder what the breath smelled like, though, doesn't it? Not, I, not minty fresh. <laughs> okay, I have an, a question. This deals with a famous actor. Remember Bruce Lee? He was in all those karate movies and things, right? Uh-huh. Okay, what problem did cameramen have with actor Bruce Lee? What problem did they have? 
they had a problem with him? Because, oh, did he move so fast they couldn't keep up with him? That's it. Okay. Yeah. Some of his kicks were too fast to be seen by the camera. I'll be darned. When he was filming a night scene for Enter the Dragon, he performed a flying kick so fast it couldn't be seen at 24 frames per second. Wow. So the filmmakers had to reshoot the sequence at a faster speed and then slow it into slow motion so it wouldn't appear faked. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But a yeah. regular camera running yeah. at 24 frames a second, which you would think would capture almost everything, he was faster than that. Okay. All right. Well, I think uh, we should take a break right okay. now. Okay. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with... Bob and Marsha Smith. That's right. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, Marsha, we're back with The Off-Ramp, Bob and Marsha Smith. And back when COVID hit, people started spending a lot more time at home. A lot of people started ordering more things. And they were ordering new technologies. And it turns out people were starting to name their technologies because they were like friends, you know? <laughs> hey, recently, uh, Erie Insurance asked their uh, policyholders, do you name your robot vacuum or other household <laughs> items? And 48.3% named their robot vacuum something. Even houseplants are being named. So you want to hear some of the names? Yeah, they're, sure. They're, they're kind of fun. The number one name is Hazel. Yeah, from the old that 1960 Hazel show. Uh, TV show. Yeah. Other names include Taz, T A Z, Rosie, and yeah. that was the name of the, uh, the Jetsons. Uh, Jetsons, yeah. Uh, Made. Robot. Made, right. Alice and Captain Jack is another name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe the trick to keeping your houseplant alive is naming it. Yeah. It won't seem. Gives it a reason to live. Some of those names include Sticky and Fern. <laughs> Uh, how about your GPS? You and I named our GPS oh. a long time ago, didn't Gladys. we? Gladys. Gladys, the GPS lady, we called her. Yeah. Some names that popped up in the survey included Maggie, Susie, Clementine. The people who named it Clementine said, because you are lost and gone forever. <laughs> you know the song, oh, my darling, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Clementine. Yeah. And Wacky Wanda, because oh. it's usually wrong. Do you notice something about all those names? They're all women. <laughs> I noticed that. Why do people name their GPS? Because women? I think they generally come as a default female voice, but you can change it to male if you want. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I see. Okay. okay. And then uh, we got a couple of appliances named Joe the Coffee Pot <laughs> and Poppy the Toaster. These people are getting in a life. Okay. <laughs> that comes from Erie Insurance Company. It's all so right. funny. And it's funny because their, their sales thing at the end says, Make an inventory list to be sure all your household friends are accounted for. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. According to the most recent evidence, uh, 2007, who was it that posed for the famous Mona Lisa? Oh, she is the wife of a nobleman or something like that. Yeah, according to Madonna the most... Madonna is her name, actually. Yeah, but Dr. Lillian Schwartz of Bell Labs says that da Vinci painted himself. What? She digitized both the self-portrait of the artist and the Mona Lisa, then flipped the self-portrait and merged the two images using a computer and the two faces superimposed perfectly. No kidding. So it's an androgynous kind of thing. You can't tell if it's male or female. Yeah, digitally, that's the most wow. recent thought on I hadn't that. read about that. Yeah, I thought that was very curious. Oh, that's funny. And it's almost like his joke on history. Oh, yeah. It? He's, you know, he how brilliant he was about everything. Well, I have some interesting food questions for you, Marsh. Okay. What are 25% of all vegetables consumed in the United States? 25% of all oh. vegetables consumed in the United States are? Um, 
French fries. That's <laughs> okay. That's twenty five percent of wow. all vegetables. Wow. Yeah, make sure you eat those vegetables yeah. now. <laughs> all right. What percentage of a Twinkie is air? I'll say fifty percent. Sixty eight percent of a Twinkie is air. Only thirty two percent is made up of uh, well Twinkie stuff. Okay. <laughs> that lasts for two thousand years. Okay. One out of every five American meals are eaten where? At a restaurant? In a car. In a car. Yeah, so I thought those were all interesting. Especially this last year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. You've heard the phrase, Robert. He got up on the wrong side of the bed. Yes, I have. Which side is that? That's my side of the bed. (laughs) (laughs) Which side is the wrong side of the bed? It's the left side. Really? Yeah. The wrong side is the left side, at least according to ancient Romans. Well, well, wait a minute, Marsh. Depending on how you look at it, if you're at the foot of the bed, I'm on the right side of the bed. But if you're laying there... I know. Okay. All right. (laughs) But we're going back again to the ancient Romans, who thought getting out of the left side of the bed was leaving you vulnerable to the influences of the devil all, all day. And you're right. You can make that either way. Okay. Okay. Well, I consider it the right side. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Where does the word lap come from? You mean lap like? Like on your lap, uh, like you're sitting down and you pat your your Uh, upper upper legs. You go, that's my lap. Yeah. Why is it called a lap? Because. Because. Because it comes from the French lapette. That was a long jacket that hangs below the waist. You see any pictures of people from the 17th century, men, for instance, they had these very long uh, jackets they wore or uh-huh. coats they wore, maybe, uh-huh. maybe have a lot of trim, but it would go down almost to their knees. Uh-huh. Well, those were called lappets. And that's how we get the name lap for your upper legs when you sit down. The lappet was the flap of a jacket that rested on your upper legs when you sat down. Huh. So long jackets with lappets were in vogue until the early 20th century. But that's where the name lap comes from. It's not an anatomical name. It was the flap that rested on your your upper legs. Well, thank you for that, Bob. You gave me imagery for the whole day. You ever wonder how the band REO Speedwagon chose its name? That was taken from an antique car, from one of the early cars. was called the REO Speedwagon, I think. Wasn't that the name of it? Yes. Who was it? Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm debating whether I to give you a yay or a nay. Oh, okay. Well, you know who REO or what REO is? No, I don't know what REO well, is. good. I got you there. Okay. Now. Okay. But that was the name of a, originally one of the early cars. Yes. Okay. Back in 1915, a fellow named Ransom Eli Olds. Oh, no kidding. Founded the Oldsmobile Company and his first trucks off the line were dubbed speed wagons. And I guess he put his uh, initials in front of it. And decades later, a band paid tribute to him. You know, REO Speedwagon was just a regional band when I was in oh, yeah. college. They would come by and they would. They were always a good band. If they're playing down at the Golden Gauntlet, that was one of the clubs at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. If they were coming, the, the REO Speedwagon, oh, everybody would go. But they were like known in Illinois. They were not a national band at uh-huh. that point. So, Ransom Eli Olds. Yep, there was one of the pioneers. Okay, what snack takes its name from prestiole, Latin for little rewards? Well, is that a Twinkie? No. This goes back to 610 AD. Oh, my God. And it was an Italian monk who gave children things when they learned their prayers. (laughs) 
Okay, he gave them strips of baked dough. They were folded to resemble arms crossing the breast. He called them prestioles. They eventually became pretzels. That's where the pretzel came from. Oh, I love pretzels. Pretzel name came from prestioles. Okay. Yeah, little rewards. And that's what they are, unless you eat too many of them. Or even any. What do they do to me, Bob? They give you the hiccups. Yes. If I yeah, Marsha gets hiccups from pretzels. I don't get Every that. Every time I have... Twinkies, I could get. 68% of tear, but not... That's just crazy. It is. Okay. What's the largest living creature without a backbone? The largest living creature without a backbone? Maybe the uh, octopus. Well, you're in the, in the right area. I'm in the sea. <laughs> okay. What is it's it? It's the giant or colossal squid. It weighs up to 2.5 tons. Jeez. And grows up to 55 feet long. But it doesn't have a backbone. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Each eye is more than a foot in diameter. Oh, dear Lord. That's and, scary to think of, isn't it? Hence the colossal squid. There you go. Wow. Okay, I have a science question for you. When a ton of iron rusts, how much will it weigh? How much? Well, how much will it weigh? A ton. No, it will weigh more than a ton. Because the rust adds to it? Yeah, technically speaking, rust is an additive process. When iron or any other metal oxidizes, it combines with oxygen from the air to make iron oxide, which is rust. And at first, the weight of the metal will increase. Of course, over time, the weight of the iron will decrease because it will erode. But originally, immediately, a, a ton of iron will weigh more than a ton once it starts rusting. How much more? Well, just small percentage. Oh, you this don't have This is one it. of those technicalities, Marsh. <laughs> you don't have the answer. That's it's what it is. It's 1.0001 tons. <laughs> I don't know. What famous artist figured out how to determine the age of a tree? Wow, that's interesting. An artist figured yeah, that out. I would have thought a biologist or uh, a I'll scientist. Go, I'll go back to Leonardo da Vinci. And you went back right. My my One of my heroes. No kidding. Good old da Vinci. What didn't he do? From conceptualizing everything from helicopters to sanitation systems, the painter, sculptor, architect, and engineer was the first to record that the number of rings in the cross-section of a tree reveals its age. He also discovered that the width between the rings indicated annual moisture in the air. Oh, okay. Did you know he could write with one hand and draw with the other at the same time? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. This guy was just would be annoying to be around, wouldn't he? You know what his proudest achievement was, though? What? His ability to bend iron with his bare hands. Wow, that's a physical strength. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow, so, I didn't know he was... That's not the image of an artist no, you get. No, no, I know. That's, Isn't that interesting? Uh, you think all the mental stuff would be... Yeah. To me, that's much more impressive than yeah. just the physical yeah. force. But it's something he could walk around, show people, and uh, immediately impress You know them. what? He was a guy. Yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> he could strut around and brag about that. I'm going to finish up with a quote from Walter <laughs> Darby Bernard. Okay? All right. Most people find facts irritating. Facts interfere with their symptoms of denial. (laughs) I love that. That's great. Yeah. That's very timely, too. Yes, I thought so. Excellent. (laughs) Well, we hope you've enjoyed our half hour here, and we'll be back next time with more on The The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Bye-bye. Bye. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.